Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome, welcome to St. John's this morning. And well done if you've made it, you've made it to 10 o'clock. So if you're a 9.15er, you've made it for 10. And if you're 11.15, um, well done for getting up earlier. And if people come in at 11.15, let's make sure we keep, we're, we're nice and welcoming as a church family to them um, if that they haven't got the message. Um, you're very welcome here uh, today, especially if you're a, a visitor or you're new or you're with family. Um, you're very welcome here this morning at St. John's. I'm Eddie, the vicar here. And uh, today um, we're continuing our series looking at build. Uh, We want to be purposeful building up of disciples. That's part of our vision here at St. John's. And we've been going through um, the letter of Colossians. And uh, maybe you received on the way in um, the little booklets of Colossians. That's to help you if if it's useful to you to jot down notes in the sermon and the talk later. Um, If you want one, there are some at the back. Um, but yeah, Richard is here at the front, and he's going to be preaching to us uh, later. So we look forward um, to hearing from God's word later. Um, this morning, as I was um, listening to the radio, I was listening to the Keswick Convention. I don't know whether you caught that this morning. Did anyone listening to that? And um, uh, I've been a few times to Keswick, and I was really interested. It was all about gratitude this morning, uh, the talk on the radio, and that made me think that gratitude is something we really want to, to be about, isn't it? G- grateful to God for what he is and what he has done for us in the Lord Jesus. We want to be a place here at St. John's of celebration, a place of joy and celebration at all that Jesus has done for us. So let me um, read um, some verses from Psalm 9, and then um, the band are going to come up and lead us in our opening songs. Psalm 9 says this, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name. O Most High. God, our Father, as we begin this service together, we do pray that you'd fill our hearts with with joy and thanksgiving and gratitude. We do want to be a place of celebration, celebrating all that the Lord Jesus has done for us and continues to do for us. We pray, Father, that we look to him this morning with grateful hearts, for the good news of Jesus, that he has come into the world to save sinners like us. So as we begin this service, we pray that we would look to him. We pray that by your spirit, you flood our hearts with joy. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? And uh, let's sing together.
Father, we do just thank you for your amazing grace that we've been singing about. Father, we know we need your grace each day, each moment to sustain us. And we pray now as we turn to confession, as we turn to you in sorrow for our sins, we pray, Father, that we will know your amazing grace to cover our sin. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you like to take a seat? Just going to take a moment now to come before the Lord and we're going to say our confession together which will appear on the the screen. Jeremiah uh, chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The prophet says. Who can understand our hearts? Well, there is one who does understand our hearts, and that is Jesus Christ. For in the Gospel of Mark, he says this, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Jesus says, all these things, evils, come from inside and defile a person. We know that our hearts are deceitful, and so we need need God's amazing grace to forgive us and to sustain us. So let's turn it again to that amazing grace in the, the words of our confession. Let's say together, Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. Romans chapter 8 begins with these wonderful words. It says, Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what God's Word tells us. When we've turned to Christ, when we've come to Him, He tells us there is no condemnation. Let's know that this morning. Let us trust in Jesus in those words, that He has dealt with our sins. And so may the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. What wonderful words. Um, Over the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been um, looking at at um, some big words in the Bible that end with shun, if you've been with us. Uh, Shun, it sounds like S-H-U-N, 
Um, can anyone remember the last couple of weeks' words? Maybe one of the children could remember what we were looking at. It's dreadful for your spelling, isn't it, to say shun as a S-H-U-N. <laughs> oh, there's somebody around the pillar. That's right, T-A-O-N. And can you remember what the words were at all that we'd looked at from last week? Any ideas? That's close. Resurrection's a good one. Anyone, what can you remember? Redemption. That's right. That's right. That was the first one. Redemption. God buying us back. And anyone remember the other one, Nicholas? Sorry? Salvation. No, it's close to salvation. It was, we were talking about how we were at war with God and we needed Jesus to bring us back together. And that word was, what hap, what's that word? Reconciliation. That's right. Reconciliation. Well, so we've looked at redemption, we've looked at reconciliation, and today we're going to look at another word that ends in shun, okay? And to think about this, um, I've got uh, some pictures here, and I wonder if you could tell me who these people are. So here's the first picture. Hopefully it'll appear on the screen. Otherwise I'll have to tell you who they are. Here we go. There we go. Thank you. Um, who's that? It's an exciting day, or potentially an exciting day for, for English football, isn't it? Who's that, Angus? That's right. Do you know her name? It's the... No, you don't know her name. Who knows her name? I bet if I asked you who the, Eng... the men's were, you would know. That's it's terrible, isn't it? What's it, Simon? That's right, it's Leah Williamson, okay. Now, can anyone tell me anything about her? She's a footballer, that's right. She's England captain. Anything else? She plays for Arsenal. I know, it's a terrible thought she plays for Arsenal. That's offended some of you, hasn't it? Uh, now, here's another picture. So you, you know a little bit about her, don't you? But not very much. Now, who's this? Oh, you know a little bit more about this guy. What did he do? He was an astronaut, that's right. Phoebe, what else? Neil Armstrong. What did he do? That's right. He walked on the moon. What else can you tell me? Anything? What can you know about? He was a man, that's right. <laughs> he is dead now. He died in 2012. And he, he, was, he was born in Ohio. You see, I've done a little bit of research. So you can know a little bit about him. Okay? You can know a little bit about, about Leah, and you know a little bit about Neil. And what about this guy? Who's this? What do you know about Henry VIII? What do you know about him? Nathan. He destroyed the Catholic Church. That's <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Straight to the point. <laughs> Phoebe. He had six wives. That's right. Can you remember the rhyme? That's right. Yeah, well done. Anything else you can tell me about this sign? Anything else you can tell me about, about Henry the... Where was he born? He was born right here in Greenwich. 
That's right. Um, so, you see, it's possible, isn't it? It's possible to know a bit about each of these people, isn't it? It's possible to know about them a little bit, um, and you could perhaps know a little bit more if you lived in that time. If you'd lived in the 6th century, you could have perhaps known more about Henry VIII. If you were in the right place at the right time, you could know a bit about them. But here's the question for us this morning. How can you know about God? Okay, and this is going to lead us to our third shun in a moment. How can we know God? Well, we can know a bit about him, can't we, through what we see around us, what we call creation and in the world. You can know a bit about, oh, somebody must have designed this, somebody must have created this. You can know a bit about him. But the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 8, 18, it says that no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. It's hard to know someone if you've never seen them, isn't it? It's really hard to know somebody if you've never seen them. So this brings us to our next word, and it's right there at the top. Can you shout it out, everyone? Revelation. You can do the shun with a good... Revelation. In order to know God, it needs to be revealed to us. And revelation is the word we use to describe how God has been made known to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. As the verse says, shall we say it together? That would be really helpful. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You and I, we can know God. We can know God because he's been revealed to us. That's revelation. And we can know God because we can read about Jesus in the Bible and his spirit that lives in us helps us to understand and to know who Jesus is. Isn't that right, uh, Luke? <laughs> was it? It's good, isn't it, that revelation is the way that we know we can know God through Jesus. So let's just take a moment to pray, shall I? Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus so we could know what you're like, that we could know all about you, and we pray that we would go deeper in our relationship with Jesus so that we may see more clearly and have a revelation of who Jesus and you are. We ask in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing. So, um, guys, do you want to come up? I'm told there's some really tricky chords in this one, isn't there, Kate? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Let's stand, shall we? We're a church family here. Let's stand and sing this next. So you, maybe you don't know this song. It's called Jesus Wins. We often sing it um, in holiday clubs and things like that. So let's stand and sing together.
Father God, we thank you that, that Jesus is the one who wins, who had the, the victory through the cross, um, through dying for us in our place. We thank you that he has defeated sin and death for us, and we praise you for it. And we, we long for that final day, as we've just been singing, where we will see him fully and finally at that last day. We pray that you'll give us that eternal perspective, longing to see him finally. We pray that in our hearts we may know him. By your spirit we pray. In Amen. Amen. The, the children are going to go out in a moment. Just to explain, because things are a little bit different uh, in the summer, um, there are two groups for the summer children. There is a primary age group, um, and uh, they will meet at, in the fellowship area at the back, but you will collect them from the garden. They're going to be in the garden, weather permitting. I think it's going to be okay. Uh, so collect them from the garden at the back of church after the service. And the preschool group um, are going across to Pointer, not to Pointer School, to um, Elsie Marshall Hall, which is just down the road, a uh, short walk. If you don't know where to go, just see the, the people at the back and they'll direct you. Let me just pray for them. Father, we thank you for our young people. We pray as we go into our different groups that we would hear more about Jesus, this, this Jesus who wins, who has the victory. We pray, Father, um, that you'll be with their leaders and help us and be with us as we hear your word here, that we will all together know the truth of Jesus in our lives. 
In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you could uh, go, that would be great. And for those left, you might like to say hello to somebody next to you. Um, I have a, a few uh, notices just to remind you about, and the first of those is the, the weekend away. It's not long till October, and uh, I hope you've all heard about it. We've been um, sharing uh, about it, and we'd love you to be there. Um, there are still a few places um, available um, to sign up. Please do come along. I was chatting to Ephraim, who is our speaker on Friday, and he's really, really excited about coming. I was so encouraged by him uh, chatting to me, um, and he says he's already started thinking about it and thinking about the talks and, and what he's going to do. He's really, really excited to be with us, and uh, so that encouraged me greatly. So can I encourage you, if you've not signed up, um, to, to come along. Um, and let me, if, if uh, for some reason finances are a problem, um, do, do say something to me. Uh, very, we're very happy to help here at St. John's. We want as many of the church family to be there, and we don't want uh, money to be a, a, a problem. So please do uh, sign up. Um, there is time to do it. Um, so that's the weekend away. Um, there's the holiday club and the holiday at home that's happening over the course of August. Do look out for that and sign up. And um, also, finally, the parish visiting um, has been happening over the last couple of weeks. I think you've heard about that. There's been some really, really good conversations. Um, we've been meeting lots of people in our community, and it's been very encouraging. And uh, um, we're actually, Richard and the team have decided to go out one more time this, this summer, um, which is today at 2.30. Uh, so if you would like to, and you've not been before, to, to go out parish visiting, 2.30, meet for about half an hour, chat and pray, and then get, we go out in pairs. And so uh, we will be continuing it in the autumn um, as a more sustained thing, um, but do come along today at 2.30. The last thing I have to do is um, read some bands of marriage. So I publish the bands of marriage between Akinakumi Ayojeji, Akina Loye, and Samantha Manjula Wanakula. And this is for the first, no, sorry, the second time of asking. And if any of you know any reason in law why they may not marry each other, you are to declare it. Let's pray for them as they uh, get married. Father God, we thank you for Kumi and for Samantha. Thank you for their love for each other and their desire to get married. We thank you for marriage. And we do pray that you would indeed protect marriage um, in this nation and beyond. We pray, Father, for Kumi and Samantha as they get married, so you'll help them in their preparation. Please sustain them uh, in the weeks before but especially after, that Jesus Christ and his love would be the center of their marriage and the love that sustains them. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
sorry, Brenda is actually unable to read the prayers, so I will be reading the prayers that she has prepared. At least I hope I will. Let's pray for the church and for the world, and let us thank God for his goodness. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you this morning with thankful hearts, thankful for the simple blessings of everyday life, food, shelter, water, clothing. Thankful for our worshipping community here in this church. Thank you. Thankful for the glories of your creation all around us and thankful for the good news of salvation offered by your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. God of peace, even in our gratitude for the privilege we enjoy, we bring before you our broken and hurting world, where some know only hunger and pain, where some live with grief and anger, a world where conflict abounds, where there are twisted ideologies and misguided beliefs. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, please move among the people places and situations that need peace, light and renewal, restoring justice and faith. We pray especially for the war-torn areas of Ukraine, Syria, Yemen, Afghanistan and their afflicted peoples. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty God, above all rulers and kings, we pray that the leaders of the nations will choose concern for the people they serve over their own interests. We pray for the political situation in our own country, that in the appointing of our new prime minister, we might see selfless commitment and a true intention to serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing on the leaders of this church. Please go before them as they seek to serve you. Please sustain them through the summer holiday activities, particularly holiday at home and holiday club. Please prepare the hearts of all the guests coming to join these activities to be open to the gospel message. And Lord, when the time comes for those hard-working leaders to take a restful holiday of their own, please uh, renew them with tranquility and refreshment. And we pray for our parish community, especially thinking of the visiting program and uh, the, the uh, local people, becoming aware of the welcome and the salvation that await them. Lord, please, uh, by your Holy Spirit, awaken interest and encourage good responses. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Loving Lord, we know that not everyone is able to enjoy holidays. Not, ev not everyone can come out to play or join in. Please, Lord, make us good neighbours, faithful witnesses to your care and compassion. For all those who are suffering in mind, body, spirit or circumstances, we ask for your strength, your guidance and your steady healing. Let's name before the Lord anyone who is on our heart this morning.
We particularly remember the families and carers who face the daily challenges of seeing their loved ones, whether adult or child, uh, in pain, weakness, or feeling rejected. Open our eyes, Lord, to offer whatever help we can and bring your love to them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Everlasting God, help us, we pray, to be bringers of hope and messengers of love. Help us to manage all our resources well, but not to become preoccupied with the material order. May our lives reflect your glory, provide glimpses of your overwhelming love, and bring the joy of your kingdom to the places and people we encounter through this coming week. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Morning, everybody. Um, we're going to read from God's Word now. So we're reading from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, and you'll find that in the Bibles in the pews in front of you, if you've not brought your own. And um, it's on page 1182. Paul's labour for the church. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present, everything, uh, present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not yet, who I have not met me, who have not met me personally, sorry. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are 
and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jamie. And thank you, incidentally, Brenda, not only for the prayers, but for the clarity of your writing, which meant I had no problem in reading them. Let's pray again, shall we? Thank you, Father, for the glorious riches that you have given us in Jesus. We pray that you would help us this morning to gain understanding that we would know Jesus better. Amen. I, I wonder how you would answer if I were to ask you, what is your goal in life? Or, or perhaps, uh, what do you hope in life for your children or, or your grandchildren or, or, or any other child you know? Just, th- just think about it for a moment. Your goal in life or your hope in life for your children, grandchildren or others. I wonder what words are, are coming to mind. Now, uh, of course, your answer will depend upon the level of generality at which you're uh, thinking. Uh, and, of course, there is no one precise right answer. But I ask that question because I suspect that many people, including many Christians, would give an answer which is not in line with what the Bible says. For example, I suspect a lot of people, particularly incidentally when thinking about their children, would say happiness. That's my goal. That's the goal for my children. But you know, the Bible never says that we should pursue happiness. It it, it wants Christians to have joy, but that's a consequence of understanding what God has done for us. It's the result of pursuing other goals. Well, you might say that contentment, that's, that's a better word, and certainly it's good to have contentment. But, but again, it's the result of pursuing other goals. What about fulfillment? That, that sounds more promising, doesn't it? But if by fulfillment we mean a subjective sense of fulfillment... then then it's not right. Because we need to live lives that fulfill other proper objectives. In fact, we need to fulfill the purpose for which God created us. And in order to do that, we need something else. And that's where today's reading comes in. If you've got it in front of you, it's on page 1183 of the Church Bibles. Um, Take a look at verse 28. Paul says this, he, that's Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What is it that Paul wanted for all Christians, including those incidentally who like the Colossians he'd never met? Well, he wanted them to be fully mature in Christ. And and note, this isn't something just for some special Christians. No, in the original, 
the word everyone appears three times. What it actually says in the Greek is admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Do you get the point? This is something for all of us. It's not just something some Christians move on to. So, what does it mean to be mature? Well, as so often, probably the easiest thing is to start with the reverse. What does an immature person look like? Uh, I suspect you can all think of immature people, though I don't suggest you do so now. But, 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 but think about what, 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 what do immature people do? First of all, they make hasty and ill-thought-through decisions, don't they? They tend to overreact to things, good and bad. They tend to follow the latest trend, the latest fashion, or perhaps transient enthusiasms, don't they? They tend to be rather frivolous and perhaps self-centred. And above all, they don't have any well-ordered purpose or plan in life. And, and what do mature people look like? Well, a mature person is effectively the reverse of that. A mature person will have thought through a proper purpose in their life. They won't be frivolous. They're, oh, yes, they will have fun, but they'll be basically serious-minded. They won't be dedicated followers of fashion or be subject to transient enthusiasms. And what's more, they won't be rocked by disaster, nor will they be bowled over by triumph. And the result of all of this? Well, they'll be able to make carefully thought through and appropriate decisions. Now, of course, that could be said in a purely secular setting. But do note, Paul says that our goal is maturity in Christ. All of this needs to be related to our position as Christians. We are in Christ, united with Christ. And, and when we are pursuing maturity, we need to recognise we're pursuing it relating to Jesus, relating to him. Come back to that in just a moment. But, but, but how do we pursue this maturity? Well, there's an awful lot that could be said on that subject. In fact, you could almost say most of the New Testament letters are about precisely that subject. And, and I must restrict myself to what it says in today's reading. Um, but, but Paul does give us a clear indication. In fact, go back to verse 28. What does he say he does in order to help people to maturity? Well, he says he proclaims Jesus admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that they may be presented, he may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul admonished and taught people. The word admonishing, incidentally, means correcting wrong thinking in, in, that, in this context. So what Paul says he did in order to help people to be mature in Christ is to get their thinking straight and to teach them with all wisdom. And then he goes on in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, to explain the what might be described as intermediate goals he pursued with that in mind. 
verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may, 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 they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now we'll come back to the bit about united in love. Uh, but, but let's start by noting that what Paul is saying here is that in order to become mature, he wants he, all Christians to have the riches of complete understanding so that they may know the, 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 all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Jesus Christ. And, and, and so if we want to pursue Christian maturity, we need to do two things. We need, first of all, to make sure that our own thinking is straightened out, that we sort out our thinking, and second, that we pursue this understanding. And of course, that requires effort. Now, I know some Christians suggest that it doesn't, and many more hope that it doesn't, but, but actually it does. It takes a lifetime of reading the Bible, of praying, of discussing these things with other Christians. Oh yeah, and listening to sermons, incidentally, I hope. But we need again, as I said a moment ago, to relate it to Christ. Do you notice Jesus is at the centre of what Paul is saying? He says he wants Christians to know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. There are several things that need to be said about that. Uh, first of all, um, the word mystery and the word hidden. Paul is not saying that the things we need to know are somehow disguised, somehow hidden, perhaps only accessible to certain special people, or if you're in some way initiated into things. No, when Paul talks about a mystery or things being hidden, what he's meaning is that at one time they hadn't been revealed by God but now they have been revealed to God's people. He says that expressly, actually, in verse 26, if you go back there. Having said that he's been commissioned by God to present the word of God, he says that that is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. That's really important because this knowledge and wisdom of which we're talking is not something that is for special people. It's accessible to all of us, and, and we need to remember that. There's no excuse for us not pursuing it. And then secondly, uh, when Paul says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ, he doesn't mean that we should abandon all other sources of wisdom and knowledge in the sense of saying that we are going to abandon learning about physics. We're going to abandon reading history. We're even going to abandon the Old Testament and even Paul's own letters because all we're going to concentrate on is the words of Jesus in the Gospels. No, no, no that's not what he's saying. What he is saying, though, is that Jesus is the lens through which all things need to be seen and need to be understood. You want to learn about physics? Well, that's excellent. 
And as you do so, just remember what we read last week. In Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Uh, You enjoy reading history? Well, that is also excellent. Uh, And as you do it, remember that Jesus Christ is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign Lord of the universe. Remember, God is overall the Lord of history. You read the Old Testament. Well, I'm glad to hear it. But as you do it, remember that it, see, it points towards Jesus and reaches its fulfillment in Jesus. As it says in our reading from last week, he is before all things, and here's the key, in him all things hold together. He's the key to all knowledge and wisdom. In him, all knowledge and wisdom holds together. And then, of course, the the cornerstone, the foundation of that knowledge and wisdom is the gospel itself. It is the good news that Jesus Christ, God himself, came to earth and died for our sins, that we could be forgiven and receive reconciliation. Thank you. Peace with God. That, that's, that is the key to understanding. And we, we don't move on from that. And it's the key to Christian maturity. Take a look at verse 27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Note again, they use the word mystery to mean something that Paul immediately speaks about. There, it's not secret. That's the big thing. Christ in us, the hope of glory. As Paul says in chapter 1, this is a hope stored up for us in heaven. And it's key to our approach to Christian maturity. Because keeping that hope in front of us puts our entire lives in context. It enables us to orientate our thinking, to orientate our whole lives aright and in a proper way. We never move on from that basic Christian hope. So, in order to seek Christian maturity, we need to seek complete understanding and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Jesus. But let's go back to the bit I left out a moment ago. United in love. Paul says he wants Christians to be united in love. How does that fit in with all the other things that he's been saying? Why does he suddenly raise this issue of being united in love as if from nowhere? Well, I'd suggest it's because of this. Seeking Christian maturity is not intended to be a solitary activity. Paul was writing to uh, the Christians in Corinth, a little Christian fellowship in Corinth. Now, of course, he wanted each and every one of them individually to move to Christian maturity. But, But he envisaged them doing it together. Together, we can encourage one another. That's how often we get encouragement from one another. And we can build one another up. A church that is united in love 
makes it far easier for Christians to grow towards maturity. You sometimes hear people say, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. In fact, I've heard people say that they're Christians but don't go to church on, I think, three occasions in visiting in the last couple of weeks. Now, it's true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Uh, A Christian is someone who has repented and accepted Jesus Christ by faith and relies on him for their acceptance by God. That's a Christian. But if you don't belong to a Christian community, a church, how are you going to grow to Christian maturity? Furthermore, the Bible indicates that we all have a responsibility to help one another grow to Christian maturity. How are you going to do that if you don't belong to a Christian community? Now, you may think, I really am preaching to the choir on this one because you're here. So actually, that's good. But, but there is something. This is the reason why we're so keen on everyone gathering weekly in this church. That's why, for 40 years, Joanna and I have tried every time we're around to come to church. We need it, and we owe it to other people to do so. That's why we want everyone to be in small groups. Because in that way, we can encourage one another. We can express our unity in love. We can grow to maturity, and we can build up others towards maturity. Let's commit ourselves to be encouraging one another, being encouraged and being united in love as we work towards Christian maturity. So far I've focused on the positive things that Paul has to say in this passage. But there's a concern underlying those positive things. He hints at the concern by the word admonishing, correcting wrong thinking. And he comes to it expressly in verse 4 of chapter 2. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. What Paul is worried about is that the Colossian Christians will be deceived by well-articulated, plausible teaching or attitudes uh, that will mislead them. Now, he was talking, he was writing, rather, to people who were a small group of new Christians in a pagan society who didn't have the New Testament to read, and they didn't have trained teachers. They were very vulnerable indeed. And so are we. Like the Colossians, we need to beware. We need to be on our guard. Every day, we are exposed to a modern, secular worldview that manifests itself in innumerable ways and which is not in line with a biblical worldview. And and we can absorb it without even realising that it's happening. It's not the obvious points that are wrong that are dangerous. Well, they they are dangerous, but, but, but they're not the main thing. The big issue is those unspoken assumptions that pervade our society and that we can absorb, not even realising that they're inconsistent 
with what the Bible says. I've already given a couple of examples uh, in passing of that. Uh, the, The attitude to the pursuit of happiness or the common understanding of fulfillment. But there are many others. Um, Take the idea of freedom, for example. Now, to be clear, uh, freedom is very important. Things like freedom of speech, freedom of conscience are very important. They're under attack in our society, and we need to make sure we defend them. But, as Eddie has pointed out in previous sermons, there is a difference between the modern secular view of freedom and the Christian view. The the, the modern secular view tends to view freedom as freedom from something. In particular, freedom from any constraints on me. The biblical view is it's freedom from those things that stop us serving God. It is freedom to, freedom to serve God. And and, and the secular view is actually quite self-centred. The biblical view is not. And look what Paul has to say about this. Look at verse uh, 25. He says that he's become the servant of the church by the commission of God. Paul was greatly aware of how he'd been freed from condemnation. And what was it for? It was to be commissioned by God to serve the church. And when writing to the Galatians... Paul was appalled that they hadn't understood they were free. He told them, for goodness sake, stop following rules to try to get yourself to God. You're free from all that. Salvation is by grace alone. And he says, you're free from all these religious rules and requirements. And then he goes on like this. This is Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Beware of the concept of freedom, the words being used in a different way in our society from the way the Bible uses it. What about authenticity? That is a very slippery word. I don't find any concept like it in the Bible, and I've never found anyone who's able to give a clear definition of it. But I think it's commonly used to mean something like being as you really are. Now, now, that sounds great. Don't we all want to be as we really are? Isn't that good? Well, actually, no. Because, you see, the Bible tells us that what we're really like is that we have corrupted natures and we have the tendency to rebel against God. And and, and of course, uh, if we are Christians, we have been released from the consequences that and God is at work within us, but we still need to avoid feeding our corrupt natures. We need indeed to do the very reverse. We need to make sure we are resisting those things. Once again, it's worth quoting Paul to the Galatians. Just after saying what I quoted a moment ago, he says this, 
So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. He, of course, is talking about the Holy Spirit there. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. Be careful about the concept of authenticity. There are many other examples I could give, but I, 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 won't, I won't. I mean, the most obvious, of course, is the uh, secular concept of identity. But, but there's, there's, there's something else, something equally important, and something that, judging by this letter, and indeed all his letters, greatly concerned Paul. It's the worry about uh, people who will teach or display attitudes that appear to be Christian, or even super-spiritual, but on close examination turn out to be uh, uh, secular philosophies or attitudes clothed in Christian garb, or uh, corruptions or misunderstandings of the gospel. An example of secular attitudes clothed in Christian garb is provided by some very worrying things you can read online about Christians and power. It's got a lot of Christian garb around it, but it sounds very much like a secular idea of getting power. And, and, and in relation to corruptions and misunderstandings of the gospel, the, the problem is not that they come dripping with heresy. That, that would be easy to spot. Actually, many of these things, teaching and attitudes, uh, come with a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth in them. That's why they're dangerous. They are very plausible. And that's what Paul was worrying about here. Uh, let, let me give you an example. Consider this. Christians do an awful lot. They're constantly working. They rush around and they get exhausted. But we shouldn't do that. Uh, we should... Remember that it's God who works, not us. We should relax. Wait on God. Let go and let God. We don't need to strive. Now again, there is a lot of truth in that, but it isn't half partial. And strung together like that, the end result is something that is fundamentally wrong even though it sounds super-spiritual. Well, what does Paul have to say uh, 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 about this? Well, read verse 29. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who've not met me personally. He says similar things in lots of his letters. Paul worked really hard. He recognised that he had to rely on Christ working in him and through him. And then he got on with it, working hard. And we should do the same thing. By the way, have you noticed how often Paul in his letters tells his readers how he led his life as a way of telling them how they ought to be leading their lives? And this is another example of it. Uh, the second example of the same thing uh, relates to our attitude to suffering. 
Now, the corruptions of the uh, uh, biblical worldview in relation to suffering can be quite subtle, but they exist in a huge number of conversations, casual conversations between ordinary Christians. I suspect that many of us, perhaps most of us, have been involved in conversations in which the underlying unspoken and unchallenged assumption is that suffering is bad and is to be avoided, and that when a Christian suffers, it's worrying because we're intended to experience joy and God should be protecting us. Now, once again, there's some truth in that. Of course, suffering isn't intrinsically good. Furthermore, quite clearly, uh, God wishes us to have the joy of his salvation. But those assumptions, stated as I've uh, put them, actually are so inadequate as to be wholly wrong. Again, look at what Paul says in our passage today. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, and he suffered greatly throughout his life, all sorts of things. Take a, take a read of uh, the first half of uh, the second letter to the Colossians, if you'd like to read more about that. He suffered greatly, but... He embraced it. He rejoiced in it because he understood that Christ had said that his followers should take up their crosses and follow him, that no servant is greater than their master, and if they persecuted Christ, they will persecute his followers. And this isn't merely a question of external opposition. Don't forget that making sure we don't feed our corrupt natures itself requires a struggle as well. We need to remember that, otherwise we'll go badly wrong. And we, we need to be very cautious, very wary about teaching which fails to appreciate those, those things. These types of things are assumptions among Christians and are teaching you here even from within the church. We need to be very careful of them. By the way, when Paul writes, um, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking with, in regard to Christ's afflictions, he does not mean that in some way Christ's death on the cross was not adequate to secure our forgiveness by God. Much less does he suggest that his suffering is in some way redemptive. Now, what he's saying is this. He recognised that in order for the church to be built up, people like him had to go out and proclaim the gospel, tell people about Jesus. And he knew that would result in opposition. And he knew that it would involve suffering. But he accepted that. He saw it as part of his service of God and he was prepared to serve God and we should have the same attitude. We must be careful. We must be on our guard against all of these things. And how should we do that? Well, we've gone full circle. We need to seek the riches of complete understanding so that we would know Jesus properly. 
and be able to test things. Test all that we are assuming, test what people are teaching us, including, incidentally, testing this sermon. Going back, is it right? Is that what the Bible is, is, is saying? But we should remember, always remember, that the object of this is not simply head knowledge. Although that's important, by, by the way. Paul certainly did want people to know things. But the ultimate objective is, is not to know a philosophy or to know abstract principles. It's to know a person, to know Jesus and his will. And the objective of complete understanding is so that we can move to Christian maturity and serve Jesus as we should. Do you remember Paul's prayer? Go back to chapter 1, verse 9. Paul said this, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Putting the matter the other way up, if if we want to please God, and I hope we do, we need to bear good fruit, uh, fruit in good works. If we want to bear fruit in good works, we need to be mature Christians. And if we want to be mature Christians, then we need to seek the riches of complete understanding. And that's best done in the context of a fellowship united in love. Let's remember all of that. Amen. Thank you, Richard, for um, opening God's word to us. We're going to stand and uh, sing our final song together. So uh, let's, let's do that. Let's stand with all that we've heard and let us turn to Christ. We had that question at the, right at the beginning. What is the goal? What is your goal in life? And in many ways, our passage has summed up ultimately our ultimate objective, our ultimate goal is to know a person is to know Christ Jesus. So let's worship him together now.
I'd like to just take a seat for a moment. Let's just take a moment uh, to conclude our time in prayer. I don't know what uh, the Lord has been putting on your heart this morning as, you've, as we've gathered and engaged um, together. Let's just take a moment to, to ask the Lord what it is he wants us to take away what he wants us to be, what he's shown us in our own lives. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Is our goal to be fully mature in Christ, to be united in love as a fellowship, to be disciplined and watchful, that we may not be deceived. Father God, we, we come before you now as we've heard your word, we've fed upon your word, and we pray that Jesus Christ would be our ultimate goal. We pray that we would mature in him. We pray that we'd be built up, that we would grow in love with him and with one another. We pray, Father, you'll keep us watchful and disciplined. We pray that we would not be deceived. Father, we pray that in all things we would look to Jesus. And so now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. It's been good to, to be together. It's been good to see you. Do say hello to me afterwards if I don't know you. Um, do uh, chat to Richard, who's at the front, if there's something that you want to to talk to him about from the, the sermon or talk to the person that you came with. And uh, there is tea and coffee afterwards, so look, let's gather together in fellowship afterwards. See you next time. <laughs>